I have a confession. I um, sometimes feel a little bit less Christian uh, than than other people. Um, I don't. I don't just mean. I don't like Christian movies, like, you know, Fireproof is kind of lame, and there's, like, some of these movies, I'm not bagging on you if you like them, I'm just saying it's not for me, uh, but other things, like, I, there's times where I, where I look at myself and I think, um, man, am I the only one that is wrestling with this, uh, you know? There are times where I feel resentment towards God, and I think, um, is, is this just me in like an immature state, and has everyone else kind of figured this out? Um, there's times where I look, and I'm like, man, I'm not always like jumping out of bed, like, I can't wait to read the Bible this morning. And, you know, in times where I'm like, I see myself react emotionally to something, and then I look, and I'm like, everyone else seems so calm about this. Um, and there's times where I think, do, am, I just, am I just not on the same level as other people? Um, I, I don't know if this is a universal feeling, but I know, and I've had enough conversations that I know that other people, um, that there are some of us in this room that have, have experienced this and felt this, uh, that there's times where we feel like, man, I, there's just... I should be further along than where I am, and there's some standard that I'm not meeting, and if I could just meet that, then uh, I wouldn't be in this kind of like secondary on the side. Uh, I would be actually a part of the whole group. That if, if I could, whatever the standard is, if I could reach it, then I would be one with everyone and I would really belong with the, the church and there wouldn't be anything to hide and I could be there and with you and we could have this, this true, transparent uh, fellowship with each other. And I could relate to you like that, I could relate to God like that, and once I got to that place, then, then we could have... Uh, what we're supposed to have in, in fellowship and in, in relationship. And uh, this feeling is, what, what do I need to do to belong? Uh, what, is the, what is the standard that I need to reach in order? Like, should I be doing more? And then once I do more, then will, will things be the way that I, I think that they're supposed to be? I think it's, it's in this place that... Uh, we feel uh, a sense of, of disappointment with the reality of who we are. No, we feel like I, I should be more than what I am, and there's some sense of inadequacy that I have, uh, and that keeps me from feeling like I'm really a part of what I want to be a part of, where I want to be a part of, of a community that loves e each other. Uh, I want to be uh, with God and feel like I can have my uh, be before Him and and feel secure in His love. Uh, I think it's it's in a place like this that is uh, similar to the context that the Galatians were in, uh, as we're talking about this this. Uh, going through Galatians and talking about uh, Paul's ministry among the Galatians. And he teaches them about grace and he teaches them about what the gospel brings to them. And then a group of people arise up from it and say, uh, Paul, you're getting a little bit carried away here. That uh, 
what the, what the gospel is supposed to be is it's supposed to come in the context of Judaism. And first you need to follow the law, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow all of the rituals, and then out of that is the extension comes, comes Christianity. And so God's people, if you want to be a part of God's people, you need to follow both the law of Moses and embrace the gospel that, that Jesus brings. And it's in this context that if you only follow one, you're missing out on something and you're not fully a part of God's people. And Paul, Paul pushes back against this and he says, no, this is not what grace looks like. This is not what the gospel is. You are undercutting what grace means. When we try to add something to it, you are undercutting and when you think that you need to add something to fully belong, you are you were diminishing what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so this is what becomes at stake in this, in this conversation. The, the magnitude that we see that the cross carries. Now, do, we, do we need to add something else to really belong? Is there something else that needs to be, to be brought into addition with this? And so Paul... Paul, he travels to Jerusalem. He has this meeting with the, the pillars of the church, and, and he discusses this issue with him. And this is going to be where, where we pick up. And so we're going to start in, in Galatians chapter 2. Now I'm going to start with, with verses 4 and 5 for you. So he's, he's in Jerusalem. He's meeting with Peter with James, with John, and he's discussing this issue, and he's discussing the freedom that is in the gospel. And he, you'll notice when he says this, he makes a contrast between freedom and slavery. So in, verses, in verse 4, he says, This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. He makes this contrast and he says, if your belief is that I need to follow the law or some other system in addition to what Jesus did on the cross, then we're becoming slaves to that standard. Like if there's something that I need to do, if some element of this is based on my my uh, performance, then whatever my, however well I'm meeting that standard, it's going to be day after day that I'm being assessed and that I'm bound to this and that whether I, I might meet the standard one day and then the next day if I don't meet it, uh, it's going to be like that for the rest of my life. And this is, he describes this as like a form of slavery. He says that in contrast to this, the gospel is meant to bring freedom. He's saying his adversaries are advocating for this and saying, no, the, the cross is not enough. That There needs to be something that you're doing. Make sure that you're, you're, you're taking this seriously. Make sure that you're honoring the past and all that needs to be that we saw was done in previous generations. And, Jesus, and Paul is saying, no, there's, there's supposed to be freedom. Grace is meant to be, bring freedom that, that the standard has been met. That nothing needs to be done in addition to this. And there should be security. 
in this. If, if we're looking at Jesus and we're thinking about our relationship with him and, and there isn't a sense of security that that relationship is stable and reliable, I question if we're really understanding grace. Like if, if my feeling is that this relationship is here one day and at risk the next day based on what I'm doing, I question if we're living in grace. As Paul continues in, in verse 5, he says that he, he makes a strong stand against this and he says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This, this so that statement is, is called a purpose clause. He's, he's saying, the reason that I am so strong against this in opposing what, what his adversaries are, are advocating is for the purpose that I want you to stay the course. That I'm trying to preserve the gospel and your understanding of the gospel, and so stay the course. This, this indicates and tells us something about our natural inclination is to diminish the freedom that we have in the gospel. You know, I think sometimes we have the feeling that uh, we're, we're all a bunch of entitled people, that if we get real freedom, we're all going to go crazy. And Paul here is saying, no, our inclination is actually to diminish the freedom that we have in, in the gospel. It's not to exaggerate it. Like our inclination is to, to say, I, I want clear steps to take. I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing in my faith and to make sure that I'm taking my faith seriously so that way I'm not disappointing God. That way I will really belong someday and can, can look at my fellow Christian as peers and as equals and know that I'm here because I took my faith seriously and I squashed out my sin and, and I'm here because of what I've accomplished. And he's saying, no, I want you to stay the course. You were given freedom through the gospel. Persevere in in laying claim to that freedom. The freedom is under threat, and so persevere in in that freedom. Ben Witherington, a a New Testament scholar on Galatians, he, he writes about this, and he writes about how the struggle that Paul was experiencing Uh, was that he wasn't giving the Galatians clear, concrete steps to take in their faith. And that what is so appealing about his adversaries is that they were. That they were telling him, these are the things that you need to do. And so uh, Ben Witherington writes that Paul's problem is that he had not provided them with honorable and repeatable rights and duties that they could easily follow. And so have concrete means of responding to what they believed God had done in their lives. He's saying that, that the, the Galatians were so tempted to fall back onto relying on, on the law because the law gave them clear steps of this is what I should do to respond to the cross. And if I don't have that, what am I supposed to do? It's, it's not very clear. It's not very specific. And I think just, just like at, at this time, I think this is ju- the same as, is true for us today. Like anytime you go to the grocery store and you see the magazine articles at the checkout stand, it's always like 12 steps to a slimmer tummy, 
you know, and 10 steps to a better sex life. And, you know, and you go to, and you look at a Christian website and you see the same thing. You see 10, 12 things to act more like the 12 disciples. And, you know, here are 10 ways to, to live during Lent. And that, that's our natural inclination to say, I need clear steps so that I know that I'm doing the right thing. And there's nothing wrong with practical advice, but what happens when we don't do those things? What happens when, I'm not, when I don't have 12 concrete steps to take in my faith? Do I start thinking that my standing before God and before the church is diminished? And that's what becomes at stake. Is that, is that I'm just living and I'm just looking for something clear to make sure that I'm on the right path. And if, if, if I'm not doing those things, I start thinking that the grace that God has given me is less. And so we look to these things and we start asking ourselves, what do I need to do so that I know that, I'm, that I'm, I stand okay before God? What do I need to do so that I make sure that I belong with you? What, what are the things that give me assurance? And it's important for us to recognize it is our inclination to fall back on taking control and having clear steps in a way to control our standing before each other. Now, this is the way that we're wired and these are the things that, that we turn to is that I desire to know that I have control and I'm in the right direction and that I'm earning my standing before you and before God. Paul writes that we cannot hold on to both and put our hope both in works and in grace. He says we have to choose one. When he writes in Romans 4, he, he writes in terms, of, in terms of payment, in terms of wages. In Romans 4, 4, he says, Now the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. The way that we're going to relate to God ultimately is trusting in our righteousness and our ability to reach some law or standard, then whatever we get is not grace, it's payment. Then what we say is the things that I experience in life I deserve and I should get, that I've earned this, and God, you, should, you owe it to me to give these things to me. From relating to God through trusting in his grace, then it doesn't really matter what my works were. I'm trusting in what he did. This, this is our, our inclination, is to say, what, what do I need to do before God to make sure that I stand justified before him? I wonder, I wonder how you would answer or fill in the blank. If, if we said the statement, uh, once fill in the blank happens, I will have standing. Like, once, uh, once I, I get a raise uh, at work, then I'll make enough money that then I'm going to be really generous. 
And then once I'm really generous, then I'm going to be able to look and say, like, okay, my life has meaning. Like, I, I gave away a lot, and, and I, I took care of people, and I was, I was charitable. Uh, once, once my kids grow up, and they marry, they marry a good Christian spouse, and they're going to church, and they raise kids, and they're in the church too, then, then I'll be able to look back and, and say, okay, I was, I was a good parent. I, I brought them up the way they were supposed to. You know, maybe it's when, when I break an addiction, then, then there won't be any shame anymore that, that I have to carry, and, and I can just be myself, and I, and I can stand before you as a mature Christian. You know, there's whatever it is that we fill in that, that blank with that tells us something about what's, what's the standard that, that we're holding ourselves to and saying, my, my hope is in this, and once I reach this standard, um, this, is, this is what the basis for uh, my value comes from. And, and Paul's, Paul's answer to this is, this is not freedom. That this is slavery. When we're trying to add to what Christ did for us, it's not making our righteousness bigger. What we're doing is we're making the cross smaller. The basis for us belonging, the basis for our standard, is trusting in what Jesus has done for us. The church is meant to be a part of this. It's not, this is not supposed to be something that's done individually, but as a church and as a community, we're meant to feed into this. And be, this is meant to be a place where we experience this reality. I'm going to back up a little bit in our passage and, and go back to verse 2. Here in, in verse 2, he says, I, speaking of, of Paul, went in response to a revelation set before them, um, and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm okay. Um, to those esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So Paul, Paul travels to Jerusalem, he meets with the key leaders that are in the church and brings up this issue, and he's asking for their, where they stand on this. Do, do the Gentiles need to follow the law? And as a side note, I think it's funny that he brings Titus with him because it's like he's bringing Titus and is saying, okay, do Tell Titus, does he need to get circumcised and follow the law? Like, I'm not going to be the messenger. Like, you tell him to his face, like, what, what, he, needs to, what he needs to do. And, and he says that I, I brought this up to, to them, to the, the leaders of the church, because I wanted to know if I was running my race in vain. Here his concern is not, is my theology Right? You know, earlier in, in chapter 1, he makes it very clear of his confidence in, in his theology. He makes it clear that, that he had a direct revelation from the Lord about this. So he's not saying, I'm, I'm wondering if I was going in the right direction or not. 
His, his concern is, I'm teaching them, and I know that I'm teaching them accurately, but are the other leaders in the church going to undercut my ministry? Like, I'm teaching them what grace is, and I'm teaching them that the cross is sufficient, that you don't need to add anything to it. Are these other leaders going to come in and torpedo it? Like, am I going to lose effectiveness in my ministry because of what other people are doing and they're not being accurate to what, what the gospel is? The, the church is meant to be a place that fosters grace. We're, we're meant to be working together, fostering grace and fostering an experience of grace. We don't just know the gospel theoretically, like, it's, it's not just an abstract idea or a theory that we're supposed to know. There's supposed to be ways that we experience it among each other. And there's times where we can look at the church and the church, uh, both our church and the history of the church, and we can see times that the church has really displayed this. That a natural disaster happens and the, and the church rallies and we care for those people who are hurting no, we have a food pantry to care for people in the community. Something where it, it's no benefit of ours, but we say we desire to bring redemption and healing to the community and to those around us. You know, I think of, I think of churches that, that host AA meetings and think there, there's nothing we're getting out of this, but use our facility so that there can be healing and redemption. I think of discipling relationships where we say, I, I want to invest in you and I want to model grace before you so that we can grow together in our faith. There's times that, that the church can be such an instrument of this in helping us to understand what grace in the gospel is supposed to look like. You know, the, the sad part is we, we don't always reach that standard that sometimes the church is a place of healing. Uh, sometimes the church is also a place of deep pain and wounding. You know, you, I, think of, I think of stories of when it's like somebody is trying to, a, a believer in the church is trying to, to bring a neighbor and welcome a neighbor into the church trying to share the gospel with someone, or trying to, to bring in somebody who is hurting in a dark place, and they have to go, okay, i got to make sure that when this person comes, they don't meet this person, because that person's going to say something, and then i got to make sure that we don't go over this area, because there's this crowd that says those things over there, and this person, you know, i just I got to be on my toes, because they're inevitably going to say something about, like, oh, Good, you know, Christians, we shouldn't have tattoos. And, you know, Christians, they show up on time to church. And, and Christians, like, their kids should behave. And there's, there's these things where it's just like, man, like, somebody's trying to remove barriers to the gospel and other people in the church are setting up new ones. And that, that if there's something that is discouraging in ministry, it's probably that. And, you know, the truth is we, we all do both of those things. The, 
each of us at times is working to, to remove barriers to the gospel with some people, and then we have our other moments where um, we are undercutting someone else's ministry. And we, we are guilty of, of that. But we need to recognize that, that the, the weight that this carries the importance that it is that when somebody comes, like, are the thi- is the thing that we're bringing up, the issue that we're raising, is that something, is that a battle that's worth fighting? Like, is that the ultimate goal? Like, is the ultimate, is the ultimate goal to make sure that person knows they should have been here 10 minutes ago? Like, that's, that's not the battle that we're fighting Sometimes, and sometimes even politically, we're, we're sometimes picking battles that we don't need to be picking. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is the Great Commission. The goal is to love one another. We, sometimes we're just choosing the wrong fights. And sometimes we're doing this because we've lost sight of grace. And we lost sight of it for ourselves, and so we're losing sight of it for each other. You know, I think of I think of Jesus in his ministry, and he was rebuked for his association with sinners. You know, in, in Matthew nine, he's having fellowship with with tax collectors and sinners. And he's criticized for it, and his response, you've probably heard this before, is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And it's, do we, do we realize and are we keeping inside our own need for what he's done for us? Or do we get to the place where we think, I've, I've met my standard, and so now I have the freedom and the right to look at the people who haven't met my standard. And that's, that's a dangerous place that, for us to be, and that's a dangerous place where we start undercutting the ministry of the gospel. The church is meant to be a place that fosters belonging because of what Christ did for us. You know, it's, it's in this place of freedom, it's in the freedom of belonging uh, that we, don't need to lo- we no longer need to focus on our performance but we, we have the freedom to then look outward. The last thing that, that Paul has in this conversation with, with these leaders is they make one request to him. They say, all, in verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Um, the, the, it's... Difficult figuring out the dating of the book of Galatians. It's very possible that during this time, we know somewhere around this time there was a famine that was happening in Judea and affecting the the church in Jerusalem. It's possible that this is part of what was in view uh, when when, uh, Paul is writing this, that the Jerusalem leaders are saying, Help, don't forget about us who, who are suffering here. Remember to, we are one church still. Like, don't let us be divided over an issue like this and let us remain united as one church and not separate into kind of two ethnic churches. It's possible, but the bigger point is, is 
The freedom that the gospel brings us allows us to care for others selflessly. Like if, if the goal ultimately is I have a standard that I need to reach uh, in order to actually belong, one, the, the focus, yes, remains on me and I, I'm, my primary focus is am I doing enough uh, to reach that standard? And so everything that I'm doing to some degree is for my benefit. That I might, I might be generous and I might be compassionate, but I'm, old, I'm really doing that and my motivation for that is out of self-interest still. And, and I, think, I think we can see that. I think that there's, there's another part of this too. Uh, and the necessity for first acknowledging that grace happens uh, before the expression of love. Like, the necessity for us to remember that I belong and I have been brought into a relationship independently of, of my love. And from that, now that freedom cultivates a heart of love. That, that it's, it's our belonging that we welcome people first, that people first get to come and we love them and we love them independently of what they have to bring and what they offer. It's here they come be with us. And the thing that, that the promise of the gospel is there is going to be love that responds from that. But don't, don't rush past that. Trust that, that grace truly is unconditional. You know, I, I think of, um, with this, I think of uh, like home of origin. And, you know, we need... Uh, we need a healthy dynamic in our home to develop a heart that can then love later on. Like, I need, I need my parents to love me and, and to care for me so that I can have self-confidence, uh, so that I can have an identity, that I can feel a sense of worth. I need friends and community to come around me and to love me and to care for me and as, as I experience that nurture and as I take that in, there is going to be a heart from that that grows that can then love selflessly later on. Like I have a heart that needs to be filled and shaped and from that healthy love will later come. You know, like there's, there's kind of the, the thing that we... It almost seems like it doesn't make sense where you see someone who uh, maybe is, is insecure and a people pleaser, and you think, oh, that person, that person's so nice, that person's so kind, but everything that they're doing uh, is, is ultimately very selfish. Like everything that they're doing is really a response to meet their own needs. Like you see the, the kid on the playground who's a bully. And you, you think, like, why, why is he doing this? Why is he acting like this? And then you find out about his home situation, and he gets bullied there. Uh, you can't then expect him to get bullied at home and, and abused at home and then come to the playground and love other, his, his peers in a healthy way. Like, the, the heart has to be filled with healthy love. It has to be shaped first. And from the overflow of that, then becomes healthy, unselfish 
um, love that's not angling for something. Uh, and so it, it's interesting that in this conversation that, that Paul has with the disciples, they're saying, first, we need to talk about the freedom that there is in the gospel. And then in response to that, love others. Care for others' needs. Do, do this with, with uh, do this selflessly. But first we have to talk about the freedom that, are, that is in the gospel, that there is no standard. The standard has already been met. My, my question when, when people end up asking and saying, um, you know, there's, there's, there's the cross and what Jesus did, but we got to make sure that we're doing this as well. My, my question is always like, where did the capa- that capacity come from? Like, if, if I can start loving people prior to the experience and soaking in God's grace, where did that capacity come from? Because we don't see it anywhere else in life. That, that kid who's getting bullied doesn't show up at school and somehow is able to love others well. In, in every other aspect of life, we accept that it's like, no, you need to be nurtured and you need to experience that grace first. And then once the heart's been shaped, then there can be love that comes out of that. There, there is freedom that's in the gospel. And when we experience and embrace that freedom... It allows us to love others and to love others for their benefit. Um, in, this, in this passage, uh, it, it, speaks to, it speaks to our desire for belonging. You know, it, it speaks to the feeling that we can have that I'm not sure if I'm doing enough. I'm not sure if there's more that I should be doing and then once I do those things, then I'll be able to belong that, that as a church, what are we doing together to create an atmosphere of grace? And Paul, Paul keeps coming back and he's saying, we don't need to do what Jesus already did. We don't need to try to accomplish something he already accomplished. The, the grace means that you are here and you are welcome, regardless of the state that you're in, and part of our challenge as a church and a body of believers is to support the ministry that we're each doing. To not set up more barriers to the gospel, but to help other people remove those barriers. And, when, and the more that we do that, the more that we're supporting each other, the more that, that we're receiving and ministering to each other and receiving the gospel, there's going to be a heart that's formed within us that is able to love other people without, uh, without selfishness or without any kind of angle of what we're going to be getting out of this. And, and that's, my, that's my prayer for us. Is my, my prayer is that, that uh, you will trust that the work that Jesus did for you to make you belong is finished. And resting in that and taking deep breaths in that you're going to have a heart that's shaped from it. And that, that, that heart that's shaped is going to help you love others better. And so we need to come back to that, that freedom that that standard's been met already.